Hey everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Avila. And I know I say this every single time, but this episode was so much fun. Today we have Sabrina Runbeck, and she is a jack of all trades. She does everything. She was a cardiothoracic surgery PA, or I should say she is a cardiothoracic surgery PA, um, public health practitioner. She is now a um, successful success coach, a peak performance speaker. Um, She has a YouTube series, a podcast, a coaching business. She really does it all. They call her the queen of performance and productivity. And as you'll see, not for no reason. This episode is packed with great advice about how to center yourself, how to avoid burnout, how to find your own passion and reconnect with it, and so much more. So please enjoy Sabrina Runback. everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast, where we explore exciting careers and how to get them from the people who flipped it. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Mostly, I think it's really great. I So I teach psychology and I do advising for psychology and I have a significant number of students that want to do like the PA route. Um, and so it's really exciting for me to kind of have you on because I know I'm not alone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it'll be nice to hear kind of how you got into it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And I I mean, there's so much about PA. I I actually did shows for like a PA platform. And because my specialty is very different, we actually get to operate a lot, very autonomic for heart and lung surgery. So that's uh, something people always like, ooh, like cardiac, you know, like (laughs) because on average, people don't last five years uh, because the intensity. But I, again, right, this is what I'm teaching. How do you become a peak performer at the same time, maintain your happiness and not having too much fluctuation. And that's yeah. why I'm able to be in a place. I still get to operate, but I don't take calls and very much of like have a good team. So then it allows me to do this passion of speaking consulting, yet only working five days a week. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. I love that there's differences in how you can make this career manifest. That sounds really fascinating. All right. Well, let's get started from the beginning before we kind of go into all of that. Um, (laughs) Did you have any aspirations of what you wanted to do when you were a child? I think when I was a child, I would... I actually wanted to be a lawyer because I talk Mm -hmm. so much. Like I'm always (laughs) like debating and questioning people. And that's one of the tendency, right? All of the four, uh, four tendencies uh, by Gretchen Rubin. I am the questioning type. So people always thought, yeah, if you talk so much, you like to debate, maybe lawyers don't want. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But (laughs) then it got into like, actually, I just like hands-on stuff. And medicine is great for that. Right. (laughs) And so when did you make that decision of thinking that medicine was a better choice? I think it was more so in um, high school. I realized that um, it would be like a more 
it's traditional thinking, right? More stable, uh, and that's misconception. Now we yeah. know, uh, like so many <laughs> that for a little before pandemic, but uh, you would think people are always sick, and then you always have changes in medical practices. So right. you're learning, you have novelty, and um, you get to do procedure, and that's what I love to do instead of just medical practice. That's why I went to surgery. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you go straight into college? No, like being pre-med or did you dabble with anything else that you might have thought of doing? Yeah. So I actually got into music therapy program um, because I used to play piano. I sing. Um, so I ended up doing a neuroscience major and a music major in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I was pre, pre-med. And then while I was seeing a study abroad, I realized I don't want to spend four years in med school, another five years of residency <laughs> in surgery, another three years if I want to do cardiac fellowship. Right. That's too many of my like <laughs> lifespan, you know, and yeah. then paying for others and taking like a tiny minimal of salary once you're resident. I was like, nah, um, PA is the fastest round for me to get to where I need to go. And that's that's one thing I see life. That's what I teach. How can you imagine and creating that ideal life? Because if you have it, now we can reverse engineer the most efficient way for you to get there and not trying like most people is what they have too many passions and they feel like, yeah. oh, yeah, I get to do everything. It's not about doing everything. That's actually a sabotager. We call that hypervigilance and a crazy anxiety feeling like unless you do so many things, then you're not productive, then you're nobody, yeah. right? Um, so it's actually figuring out what is that one thing that truly lights you up naturally? And then we dive deeper and make that flourish. And then you can add on additional things and continue to boost and grow. Oh, I love that. That's exactly what I teach students in advising is to try to reverse engineer. And a lot of them struggle with that idea because they don't know exactly what that one thing is or how to manifest that into a career. So it's exciting that other people are working on that. Yeah. I, I was talking at a mastermind yesterday. Um, he was like, you know, I ran six companies before uh, and I uh, got to the point so burnt out because I, I, everybody else seems like I was doing good thing, but it was empty inside. How would you advise those people? And so I gave that, you know, breakdown exercise. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what I end up doing, but I wish I'd talk to you sooner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and I know too, with students, they don't tend to think of reverse engineering. I think they think of, okay, well now I just need to keep going to school. And so I feel like a lot would get trapped into what you were saying, how you ended up not wanting to do, you know, four years of med school, three years of residency. I think a lot of them get trapped into this idea of like, oh, well, that's just what I'm supposed to do. I would have to do that for anything. So I'm just going to go do that without kind of taking that time to really evaluate what you want. Exactly. And it's not just student. There's plenty yeah. of adults that are feeling like I got I need to have an MBA. I need to get a PhD. Then I can be a leader. Then I can move up. I'm like, no, no. The degree <laughs> does not necessarily mean you're automatically a, a authority. It's just right. a degree. <laughs> How do we build expertise? It's about our communication and leadership basic skill to bring out the best in others. And that's what I'm teaching, right? What are the diminishers you have? What are the natural ways that you can attract talent to you? Because then when you deliver a a new idea, people are just going to automatically jump on board. You don't have to convince them. Right. 
Okay. And so you decided to go the PA route. What did that look like? Can you walk us through a little bit about what the schooling is like and how many years and all of that? Yeah. So PA school is anywhere between two years to, I would say, like three years. My mm -hmm. program, I went to Drexel, is in uh, Philly. And mm -hmm. it's a very dense area. We have so many PA schools in that uh, <laughs> Philly area. Uh, it, it was fun. Like the mostly the first year is didactic, which just means our schoolwork, right? Like you learn okay. from the book, you learn from little labs that we create. And then the second year on, depending on how your school is set up, you might have blocks of four to five weeks, or sometimes uh, I had a two 10 week blocks on different subspecialties. And that's what make PAs really unique in a way of we can practice in every single specialty. Like myself, I always mm -hmm. be in surgery. I started in vascular, then cardiovascular, thoracic, and transplant. Everything may go together. <laughs> and now I just do cardiothoracic and transplant. And at the same time, I was able to pick up ER shifts, hospitalist shift. I can do cosmetics whatever you want to do simultaneously, that's still okay because your license covers all that. And as long as you have a supervising physician in that specialty that you're working at, and it's pretty autonomous. Once you graduate, you're expected to start practicing with supervision, of course, and the better trust and the better the relationship you have with a uh, supervising mm -hmm. physician. Now, of course, you got to do a lot of more on your own than just have to keep checking in. And is that similar in any way to residency or is it a little bit different? It's different. Um, I would say residency, it's training focused, right? Okay. We still see our resident as their learning phase. And some of our residents might have more general surgery intensive care experience, but I have more of my CT surgery experience. Got so you, you help them out in a way as well. And uh, once you get to a point that you're comfortable, your supervising physician is comfortable with you, you are practicing as an independent practitioner. You're not mm -hmm. a resident who we always like checking in with them and, right. and discuss everything. Okay, so it's more that you just have a mentor to help you when you're already practicing. Right. And some of them are distant. Some of them, you will never really see them. <laughs> that's why PAs can own your own practice. Nice. And so what was your career trajectory once you got to that point? Did you start your own practice or did you work under someone else? I mean, surgery. So I would not okay. be uh, practicing by myself. And uh, for those who own their own practice, it's more outpatient based. Got it like dermatology, ortho, uh, internal medicine, things like that, like subspecialty, they wanted to have their own practice. It's definitely doable. Now, because surgical practice, you have to be attached to a hospital, book cases, and your primary surgeon are the surgeon uh, on call, the surgeon who perform. There are procedures we do on our own, but everything is still default to them. So it, okay. if you're a surgical PA, it, we don't really um, technically own the practice. I was mm -hmm. think the only way is if you open up your own like day surgery facility, you can still okay. own that. Um, and then I also know PAs who help other to open up their own practice or even have like high end specialty medical treatment. Let's like, say someone who loves to travel and most of their work is traveling. How do you 
how do you get care when you're overseas or out of the state? Even you can call face to face with your primary care physician for telemedicine, but they can't really prescribe in those states or country. And mm-hmm. so there are、uh, companies and run by PAs that are able to do that for you, and、oh, they、wow. even fly you back with a whole team ICU care. Oh wow! I didn't know that. <laughs> and what does a day look like? I think we have this romanticized idea of what surgery looks like from TV, but what does an actual day, day to day life, kind of look like? Day to day varies depending on how you work. I、mm-hmm. always even tell all my students when they're looking for a, 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 their next job and then or people who wanted to switch. I say, don't try to look for a job description that matches what you need. Make sure you find your dream team and dream boss.、Okay. Those the people who truly elevate you, right? Help you to grow. And、uh, ultimately, the outcome what we see is return on investment. Means how much you get paid, right? <laughs> yeah.、Um, and what's your future value? How is that working in this group, this specialty? Matches what you want to get out in life in the future, and how would this also matches your lifestyle? And then the last thing is how would this help your personal growth? Because、right. without the novelty in our life, we stop. So in my particular case, since I gone through a different hospitals, even within the same specialty, they all work different. It could be you have scheduled cases on set days. It could be、uh, you operate. Uh, all five days, and you had just clinic in the afternoon, or、uh, certain days of the week.、Um, some people need to take calls,、uh, which means any nurse or、uh, a consultant comes on, have a patient issue, you needed to be able to call back night or weekend, or even coming in to run on your patient. But typically, if it's OR day, first thing、mm-hmm. I get in the morning, I check the OR board. So things might change, right? You never know. Right. Your case might be bumped、uh, because some emergency comes in, or there is an emergency that got added, and then you're just finding it out. <laughs>、um, so give yourself that comfortable place. Oh, when do I have to be in the OR? And then I、uh, check in the pre-op patient who's already in the waiting area. Make sure the notes is ready,、uh, consent's done. They have no questions and they're ready to go. And so then you have probably at least an hour. Uh, well, they're setting up the room, get the patient to sleep. So then I can use that hour to run on my、uh, patients in the hospital who are、mm-hmm. my post-op, right, or admit a patient that's ready to surgery, and and then come back to the OR when the cases get going. So then in between the cases, sometimes if your surgeon is busy and you get to have two rooms, you might have to just keep jumping back and forth. <laughs>、um, if you only have one room. Uh, to even clean the room, right? Um, to for turnover, desanitize, it takes at least usually two hours. So you、yeah. again, I have the time to either eat, take a quick break, uh, and round on the remainder patient or answer the calls and consultant and whatnot.、Mm-hmm. And so that's how you would go through your day for a OR day. Now, if your team is bigger, of Uh, then someone else can take the pager when you're in OR, and vice versa,、mm-hmm. right? And then、uh, if you happen to have clinic in the afternoon after all your surgery cases, now because we can't predict exactly how long that day gonna go, if you have someone else on your team who can see those clinic patients, then you don't feel bad that you're holding rest of the patient right、um, up and waiting. 
I mean, people do understand, but still, right? Like no one, even us, don't like to just sit around the doctor's office. <laughs> How has COVID, like the pandemic, changed your job? Has it changed it? Has it made it more intense?、Um, How exactly has that manifested itself in your career? Personally, it has、uh, not had a huge effect on my career, but also it could just be the location I'm in. Okay. And、um, uh, it could be the, also the specialty I'm in. Now, cardiac surgery, we tend to not going to operate on people who are COVID positive. Mm-hmm. Right, because they're already really sick. We're not gonna expose them from getting、uh, even more inflammatory, like ailment, when we open up their chest and like do all this big stuff. And therefore,、uh, what's being affected is our senses went way down. Right, not many people are coming to the hospital because they're afraid that they might catch COVID. Right, and, and not knowing, guess what? Heart disease. Still is the number one killer in the world,、uh, and COVID can't be that. We still have to pay attention to <laughs> our body what it needs. Yeah, and just waiting for oh the、uh, this we had a, our second wave just went down right, and now the third wave is start coming up again. So、yeah. we can't just wait for oh maybe this goes away then I get surgery. You're just gambling on your life. And I did cover、uh, in other hospitals for just COVID units, and most people are able to be on the trial for these regimens and then take steroid and even preemptively give antibody, right? Just so、mm-hmm. prevent them catching something else in、yeah. the same time and these additional medicine that they're、uh, doing the trial.、Uh, and it could be really stressful for a lot of healthcare professional because we don't stop. Right, like people、mm-hmm. stay home during COVID. Yes, they get stir crazy, but we show up. We have to like completely gun up, and some people even、um, purposefully change out in their scrub, really wash themselves before they go home, or they、uh, kind of strip in their driveway and toss things in the <laughs> laundry, and then wash themselves up before seeing their family. Right? Yeah, it definitely is a stress level. Uh, a lot of healthcare professional have been furloughed、uh, or had to get let go during this time, and just because some places they feel like census is down,、uh, even surgical subspecialty they're not allowed to operate because only the necessity right,、um, right. cases can be going, so they can't really afford it, and now it's tough on many people. Yeah, and it's. For people not in in that career like me, it seems counterintuitive to furlough people during a time when you seem to need more. But it makes sense because they're compartmentalized; they're different specialties in different areas. Exactly. If you're in critical care ER, there's going to be upsurge of that, and people actually、right. pay you extra to fly you to these higher level of cities for you to provide those care. Uh, versus the subspecialty you're in, let's say ENT,、um, even orthopedics, some of these chronic knee, hip, they、mm-hmm. are elective cases. Now, unless they have fracture, broken bone, yeah, they need to, to be done right away. But if it's a chronic thing, it doesn't deem as necessity. Then people are not getting the treatment despite how much pain they're having.、Oh. 
That's crazy. My dad just had his hip um, knee replaced like a week ago. <laughs> Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's it, yeah. it definitely you can see the need is like we need those treatments still. Uh, I, that's why I seen a huge uptick even on my own business in being a public speaker on how can we be that peak performer? Mm-hmm. And because I believe that burnout and stress out in your career, we know that annually $190 billion in healthcare causes due yeah. to work-related stress. And um, healthcare professionals are shown before even COVID 200% higher suicidal ideation than average Americans. And there was a study kind of came out during the pandemic showing 64% of all physicians are burned out in the U.S., but of less course. than 50% <laughs> of the organization have these uh, stress management and resilience programs. So I was uh, out talking about these things, not to focus on stress, because as everybody out there who have tough jobs, we all are hard workers. Uh, I believe that we don't mind working hard. What we mind is not being taken seriously and appreciated, mm-hmm. because there are one of the global studies shown the number one driver in work performance is appreciation. It beats in higher pay, promotion, training, and giving you more autonomy. And yeah. it's really what a problem is. We don't know how to make this better decision. We don't really understand how to better communicate. And we don't have the necessary leadership skills to put ourselves to become that influential key leader and key player in the organization so they can't afford to lose us. And at the end of the day, how can we find our voice to speak up? Then we won't feel overwhelmed and appreciated or undervalued. Yeah, I love this. It parallels psychology a lot because there's an area of psychology that studies business. And it looks at these types of things of exactly what you were saying, that appreciation is kind of that biggest factor. And yet a lot of companies, a lot of businesses aren't structured to value that first. And then you get this stress and anxiety from kind of your job or your career. And then like you're saying, it ends up playing out in billions of dollars worth of healthcare. Do you have an idea of what a solution might be? Is it at the individual level with working with people and trying to make sure that they find their satisfaction or is there bigger changes that need to happen? Yeah. So the, my system talks about three steps to get you the mental hygiene to get to the next level. So mm-hmm. we maintain our performance level without feeling stuck and without having that emotional roller coaster. Yeah. So number one, it is, as you're saying, combined cognitive psychology, positive psychology, performance and neuroscience, which is building your mental immunity. Just as important as physical immunity to fight off disease, we need our mental immunity to repel the internal sabotaging behaviors and the negativities from the outside world. It's a muscle we have to continue to grow. It's not something like, oh, I just heard about, learn about it, read it, all this self-help book I want right. to do, and then it's done. Like, okay, that's why you can practice gratitude. You can read and write journals and nothing really changes because 
achievement for one of my professor and coach from Stanford on how to train these high-level athlete CEOs is achievement equals your intelligence, which is your IQ and EQ, right? Just mm-hmm. the base of knowledge. But yeah. without using it right, it doesn't mean anything. So therefore, how do we use it's uh, plus your positive intelligence, which has two components. What are your sabotaging behaviors? Can you recognize them quickly to realize that just your tendency is not you? So we can pivot into more of a positive sage part of our brain, which is curiosity, being resourceful, have empathy, be able to connect with people, right? All these basic skills that we need. So that being said, we need to understand who we are, what our tendency, and it's not so much of criticizing our behavior anymore. It's knowing that, you know what, everyone judges. But if we just notice that we're being judged or we're <laughs> judging others, then we know, okay, oh, you know what? It's just my know-it-all talking, right? It's right. not me. It's just my, this little brain that's talking. So then I can tell myself, like, okay, stop doing that. You understand whatever it is, what it is. I can't change the past, but we can turn that into a gift or opportunity. So... Mm-hmm. Let's do an exercise, focus on something differently, regroup. What can I do now, right? What is the lesson I learned? What can I look forward to? So that really leads into the second part is to redefine a motivation. Just like Simon Sinek wrote in his book, right? Begin with why. We need to know what's our drive. But even without this piece, we have to start actually by asking ourselves, what is that ideal lifestyle that you want and why you want that? Right? Yeah. And that's the piece we talked about earlier. If you have this beautiful picture visualized in your head, number one thing, right, to make a reality. Mm-hmm. Number two, what's the emotion that you will feel once you accomplish that, right? Is that joy? proud satisfaction or what is it without that emotional piece we still not going to do it and then third why do you want to feel this way and live this way right if we can combine all of that then you truly ignite something in you and continue to repeat those thoughts in your head to keep going and so now we can reverse engineer now we think about what to do if we mm-hmm. continuously thinking, oh, just got another degree and yeah. just got another promotion. If I only have another 10K, then I can do X, Y, Z. Great. That's what I always said. If I only had a PhD, I'd be smart and I could do this <laughs> and that. And it's like, oh, I could have done some of this stuff before then. <laughs> yeah. And then the money you spent on PhD, the five years you spent, you could probably have already done something that got you to your end point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> then it brings back to the third point. How can we elevate and restore and reboot our efficiency? Right. People mm-hmm. always want to, I just need more time to get what I need to do. Yeah. Like, no, you just have to think differently. You need yeah. more time to do what lights you up and you're good at. Those yeah. are very key. Not just what you're good at, not just your passion, but both. And last time on everything else, pretty much everything else, just distractions. And I love that because when I had my first child, I learned that lesson very well because I used to work 
12 hours a day. I would work on weekends. Like I was in a PhD program. So you work continuously pretty much all the time. And then I had my son and all of a sudden that work-life balance or life-work balance became more important. And I knew that I needed to stop at certain times and I was no longer willing to work at nights and weekends. And so I had to take that 12 hour day, those weekends that I used to work and cram them into like six to eight hours of a day. And surprisingly, I became more productive. I got more stuff done because when I was working like 12 hours a day, there was a lot of that time that was just looking at social media or watching a video or getting up and moving around. And when you had, when I had to actually consolidate the time, I became a lot more efficient. Exactly. And that's, one of the my client who came to me, she's already a lawyer. She's already in a good firm, but she still feel like she's a small fish in a big pond. And mm -hmm. her team is now doing what they need. Uh, and she's married to her job. She's constantly working, not able to spend time with her daughter. Or actually, the only thing she wanted is just to play cello in a local orchestra. Oh, yeah. Simple, right? She yeah. has talent. She understands that is because she is one of her non-negotiable, but she never actually tap into, right? right? It become a good to do instead of actually a non-negotiable. So what she found most useful is I built out this bulletproof weekly alignment worksheet. So she, we are defining your only three goals, like the three major values for you for this week. And therefore you can guide anything that doesn't align with these three automatically go into the dumpster right like it's yeah no. and so you predetermine your decision then you start writing down what are the truly things you have to do this week versus things just good to do right for right. you could be spending quality time with your kid that might need to be blocked out on the schedule right if yep. we don't write down it doesn't happen but what other things that come maybe the the friend's neighborhood project right and then even though you might be a great event planner but it's gonna rob your time so really think about like if it's not aligning with your top three value system it's gone and then yeah. what's beyond creating novelty means it's all your skills tapped into the way that you want it if it's not can you create something or can you learn from other people so you can be in a better position and who else do you need to connect to just simply grow your social relationship or love relationship so you have mm -hmm. a better foundation? Yeah, I like I like that. I think I do that implicitly, but I've never really thought about it in that those terms. <laughs> yeah, and because you're at the end of the day, you are gracefully giving yourself the half hour hour of just for you. Mm hmm that helps you to make easier decisions for the rest of the week by saying yes and no. We sometimes with the sabotaging tendency of a pleaser want to make sure everything is taken care of. But yeah. if you're taking care of too many other people, you don't know how to take care of yourself. Eventually you're going to fill that void yeah. or people taking you for granted and you never got anything. Yeah. And how did you transition or how did you add on essentially this consulting, speaking, all of this other aspect of kind of your career? How did you get from doing PA to doing kind of both of these or were you always kind of doing both? 
I think I was always teaching in some capacity or not, both for a student perspective or just people I know. And that's one thing when we talk about what you're good at and then turn into a new passion that can um, drive a enlightenment in your life. So mm -hmm. that's what happened to me. But also I had a pivotal change. Now, a few years back when I was a new practitioner, you feel like, how to go, 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 do more cases, see more uh, patients, build up the CV, right? What? We're trying to prove ourselves that we can do it. And we're trying to prove to others that we're worthy because we don't see ourselves as worthy. We're so yeah. having such like imposter syndrome or we're just like feeling like, again, if I build up my CV, right. level, then maybe I can get a higher pay job that don't work that much. Right. <laughs> Why can't we start from the beginning? Right. Um, and um, it was one day, it was hardly eight o'clock in the morning. I was already exhausted because I was on call again the night before. I think I slept maybe for four hours. <laughs> and I also woke up with a fever of 101 degrees. It wouldn't have been so bad if I just had a day off. Yeah. However, I was in a hospital, scrubbing, doing a case with my hands inside a patient's chest. And typically I'm going, I'm talking, I'm still engaging with everyone. But at that day, my nurse even noticed, Ooh, Sabrina, quiet, not good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're passing medicine under my mask just so I can last for the rest of my cases and the rest of the day. But no one need a medical degree to tell you when you're sick, you better take easy. Yeah. When we don't do it, things get spiral out of control. And I was in a position that next morning, woke up covered with sweat, can barely move. So I had to call in sick. But then the answer I got was, oh, you're just telling us this now? Don't make a habit out of this. Like, wow. <laughs> the frustration sets in, feeling super underappreciated. Right. And you work extra, right? All of us believe that anybody who's listening, you have the, those days that you get sick, you still feel like, okay, I'll just go in because if I don't go in, no one can do my job. Or yeah. I, I don't feel good if I have to push my job on someone else. Or if I really left it and someone's going to wave to hear answer, I'm going to feel guilty, right? Right. So again, constantly thinking about others, policing, avoiding pain. But what's going to battle you inside, right? And that's when I start to go back to propose changes, to do different things, to see if we, if we can make this thing better. But I also know I have to take ownership of my own decision on my own life. So I went back to my root in neuroscience and public health, and my thesis was on self-care, self-advocacy, music as a way of stress management, and mm -hmm. learning from all these high-level performers, coaches, trainers, went back deeper into neuroscience and positive psychology. How can we do it better? And that's why I created those simple three-step system, because we don't want it to think too much, right? The chaos is what causes us to lost direction. So if we just come down to one system, recognizing there's things that doesn't work, but I know it's just my tendencies. 
now I can self-diagnose my me better, right? I'm more mm-hmm. self-aware and understand what that means to have this great life. Now I can make better decisions, not only for myself, it's actually for everybody else around me. So I can be in a, a state of calmness, in light, purposeful, and focused to get more things done so I can have time to enjoy life simply. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and so did you start it as, like, is it a separate career? Is it something? How exactly did you manifest this idea? So you came up with like these three steps. How did you decide to get that message out? And how did you decide which way you would kind of make that happen? Or, you know, if it's a career, if you're profiting from it, like, how did you decide to, to get that message out in the way that you did? So for anybody, you get things out by communicating, right? Yeah. Like one basic foundation <laughs> I was talking about. If nobody knows you and no one knows your system, then your hidden best secret. Yeah. It's not really worth of anything. Now I'm a talker. I was not a professional speaker, even though I done public speaking. Mm-hmm. Now I know I need to be at my best. So again, when we're talking about the alignment, what are the skills you need to tap into and dive deeper in? Not right. a lot, just start with one. I know I need to be better at presenting, at engaging, at speaking in a way that people get me. So I start to having all these speaking programs as speakers, right? as entrepreneurs, learn from people who already done it. That's the easiest way to get to where you need to go. Instead of doing all this background research yourself, mm-hmm. we're smart. We can all research ourselves and learn it passively, but we don't see our own blind spot. If we continue right. to just absorb information, then we actually get trapped into just being a learner. And again, having the imposter syndrome, when is that enough for me to actually do something about it? Yeah. So simply just learn it, speaking about it, doing, start it just on social media, right? It don't mind if no one's listening, someone is. <laughs> and um, um, I speak, started then speaking on other people's podcasts. So I started that way as a speaker, going on many different shows, whether it's productivity, um, better mood, uh, business, and uh, start going to conferences, medical conferences, business conferences, wellness conferences, and speaking at, in front of students and uh, hospitals. And then eventually I start running my own podcast for healthcare professionals called Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast, where I interview these experts on the show mm-hmm. on what's their journey, what are these key components of our lives that they are helping others to elevate, right? Because career is just one side. There's right. financial intelligence, there's the fitness part, there's the mental well-being part, there's the relationship part, and there's spirituality part. And there mm-hmm. are other things we really should think about. Yeah. If we don't, that's when you start hitting walls and you don't even know how come you get to that point. Yeah, exactly. So I usually end or, or talk about kind of your single best piece of advice, but I think you've offered so much advice already. I want to rephrase it in a little bit of different way of 
you have kind of a three-step method, but for somebody who's out there struggling right now, either, you know, wanting to change their career because they're miserable or feeling like they're stuck or students who just aren't sure where to go. Do you have advice on what would be kind of that very first step that they should take maybe even before they get to your three-step process? Is there something that they should kind of internally or even externally do to get started? I think they should dive directly into the step. Okay. Number one thing actually can be start with clarity piece. Now, many people are not sure what they want in life. They know what they don't want. And we can start even there. And what you do is this simple exercise is writing down what are things you basically, your basic skills that you have. Mm-hmm. Time yourself. Write down as much as you can within five minutes. And then start highlighting the things that you truly enjoy. And again, now we're matching the passion and enjoyment, excitement side with what you're good at. And from there, which one of the things that you circle you're actually doing right now and which ones you wish you have done more? Now you're still having an idea of how can I use the things I haven't done as much to create a path for myself, whether it's a career or whether it's something you take an initiative to mm-hmm. build. Right. So these things like, to get started, to paint that bigger picture. And eventually you really wanted to drill down to the question, what's the ideal lifestyle you wanted to create? That means as specific as possible, where you live, house, apartment, pets, no pets, um, significant other, how big your family is, how often you want to travel, what hobby you wanted to play, what's the non-negotiable, do you like to work out, how many times a week, do you care to work nights and weekends? All of those stuff, right? Yeah. And then you can now have a picture. Now we have something to work with. Once you have that picture and why you want to create that life for yourself, now we can think about what are the behavior and tendencies that we can help you to get there and remove the sabotaging things. And while you're working on all that, start practicing these exercises I talked about, right? The, micro vacations mm-hmm. people can actually grab a free audio just go to my website my phone name sabrinarombach.com forward slash energy so you can start trying to see oh i actually i can bring my focus and energy back so quickly even under two minutes like imagine yeah. how much you can accomplish whether it's work or just enjoy life give yourself just a few hours of not being bothered. <laughs> and I really like that the focus is on lifestyle, not just career lifestyle either, like actual, those other parts of us that you mentioned earlier, the family, the social, the relationships, the spiritual, um, all of those things are so important when choosing a career as well. And I feel like sometimes we get stuck, especially kind of in the U.S. mindset of the career comes first, you think of that and then everything else is kind of separate. And I like the idea of thinking you have to make all these decisions together at the same time because one of these things in the air might fall and kind of ruin everything if you're not (laughs) keeping them like in sync with each other. 
Exactly. And that's why when people start working with me and they so appreciate that I do a deep dive, a hundred questions questionnaire on these 10 different components of life. So then we can figure out what are the categories that you're really good at so we can leverage more. And what are the one or two things that are actually the killer that prevent you to create that harmony in your work and life? Yeah. And so I know you mentioned your website. Um, is there other places that people can find you? Do you have, I know you're a public speaker, so do you have videos that are out there? Is everything on your website? I'm very active on Instagram and LinkedIn. And awesome. you can find videos probably easier when you actually go to Instagram. I uh, have a YouTube channel that I do share some of my podcasts and uh, go into there. but Primarily, I concentrate on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find me just my phone name at Sabrina Rombach. Mm -hmm. And um, I do uh, do daily posts, both from encouragement or some of the shows I've been on from podcast, TV segment and my own. And people can feel free to message me there to have a virtual coffee chat. Awesome. And we will link all of that stuff in our social media as well. So as we're posting this episode will kind of tag you in it so that it'll be easier for listeners to find you too. Awesome. So appreciate it. And everyone from just listening to us talking <laughs> and doing something else. Right. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for being here. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Career Journey Podcast. Head over to our website at careerjourneypodcast.com for more information and the latest episodes. See you next time.